Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. We are your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins. And prominent educational thought leader, Adriana Prado. The Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education. Those individuals that don't wait for permission, leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community, as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in a new world environment. These are their stories. Leslie Medema is Head of Learning at the Green School. Leslie's been heading east or west all her life, depending on where you're coming from. She started off in South Dakota. She's worked in Vietnam. She's now at Green School Bali. She's been working all around the world, thinking about an education for global citizenship and stewardship. She's a real game changer. We're excited to talk with her. Let's go. Well, it's great to be with you uh, this morning, Phil. I hope that uh, there is some sunshine there in, in uh, sunny or hipsterville of Fitzroy. Well there's, the, well, there's always sunshine in sunny sunshine where you're from, Adriano. Uh, it's always sun, sunny here. Thank you very much for, for being with us, Phil. And of course, thank you, Leslie, for being present with us and being part of our Series 3 of Game Changers. We're really excited to have you here today and, and to talk a little bit about the profound Green School that have emerged uh, over the last number of years and the success of doing schooling differently in that regard. So my very first question to you, Leslie, is a simple one, and that is, can you tell us a little bit more about your own story and how, how you got to where you are today? Yeah, well, I'm actually back in South Dakota. I was in New Zealand uh, just about five weeks ago because for um, we opened our second green school uh, outside of Bali, and we opened that in Taranaki in New Zealand, and I was there for the opening and setting up the, the teacher training as well as the curriculum on site there uh, using, using the local land and the local culture to um, advance and improve upon and, and, and create curriculum. But as everything started to shut down, I thought I'd leave the safest country in the world that handled this very well and, and head, back to, <laughs> head back to my family because obviously I think that's where I wanted to make sure that I, I got stuck if I got stuck anywhere. But so that's where I was. But I, I left here about 20 years ago and kind of started my own journey. I was training in uh, to be a history teacher. I had gotten really confused at different points in time about how we were teaching Vietnam. So this isn't necessarily related to what we're talking about, but it was something that really piqued my interest. And one thing that they had said is, you know, in, in a lot of history books, more modern history books, we didn't understand Vietnam. And that's why things were so challenging from a policy level. And I loved policy and I loved teaching history. So I decided I'll just go to Vietnam. And that was supposed to be for a year. And that I've never really come home. <laughs> and so um, at that point, I was, I was helping to program direct and run an NGO that was sending teachers to Asia for one to two years of service and exchange. And after that was over, I had gone to Bali just, just on vacation. You know, they, that's where they tell you to go when you're 30 and you're single and you need to like, you know, get in shape. Uh, and <laughs> and um, while I was there, I was actually retraining a, a bit. I was starting my online coursework to become a nurse because I felt like I wanted to be abroad my whole life and being a teacher and a nurse would make me the most relevant, the most useful. That's really all I wanted to be. And so, um, but in that process, I started meeting nurses and one of the nurses that I, I met was in Bali and she started telling me about green school. And that's how I got to green school and, and started in November 11th, 2011. 
Well, what a remarkable journey. And uh, whether it's teaching or possibly nursing, uh, both of those are really service orientated and about the other. So it's great to, to have you here with us. When, when um, we discovered the dynamic green school, when we were researching about series three, it was very clear to us that the green school is a school that is doing things very differently. And as Phil said from the top of the show, there's a real focus on kind of global citizenship and particularly then having an empathy for the environment. Recently, PwC released a report called The Workforce of the Future, The Competing Forces Shaping 2030 and Beyond. And one of the mega trends that they mentioned was resource scarcity and, of course, climate change. Can you talk a little bit uh, about to our listeners a little bit about how the Green School leverages educating young people not only about the environment, but also around responsibility around food? Certainly. I mean, the Green School is even broader than that. It's, it's actually social justice and all elements of social justice. So whether that's food scarcity, women's issues, equality around the world, poverty, hunger, all, all the elements of the sustainable development goals. And they really all start with the environment. And they really all start with how the environment takes care of us and how we take care of the environment. And so we really start in that place and then with young people, but we, we actually want to start from a place of ecophilia, we call it love, because what we are finding when it comes to any issues of food issues, environmental issues, we're actually overwhelming young people with the fear, the fear of, of what's out there. So at our youngest years, you, you start simply with that absolute love of nature and that absolute care and compassion for nature. And where does your food come from? and the health of your soil impacts your food. And so those elements of it is how, are how we start. And then we actually work into the systems of the world mm -hmm. and how the systems are impacting each other, whether it's how healthy the environment is impacts your food or whether it, just the simple fact that the forests clean the rivers and the rivers bring us life for all of these reasons and the system of that, that helps reduce poverty, that helps improve health so many different elements of that system and trying to bring in the complexity as well as the difficulty when they're emotionally ready. So you, you touched upon there the uh, UN Sustainable Development Goals, which seems to be uh, an important construct of inspiring a lot of the work that you're doing. So tell our listeners, why do we need a school like yours? Why is, <laughs> why, why is, why is in today's world a school that has flipped the system and focusing on real capabilities that relates to self, place and the other and the competencies all around those. Why is that relevant today and why is it needed? A school like ours is needed today because we are not capitalizing on the abilities and diversity and beauty of the minds of all of the children. So, so most programs and exams will only prioritize one type of knowledge. And the reality is, where is that really entrepreneurial child? Where is that really artistic child? Where is that, that person who doesn't fit into that standard body of knowledge? Where is their outlet? And where is the ability of our teachers and, and our systems, actually, our, our teachers are doing this all the time, but our systems to recognize that actually that is what we need for the future is all different kinds of thinkers, all working together, but all wanting to make a positive impact as well, having that drive to make a positive impact. And so we need schools like ours because we need to make sure that we're actually allowing for the diversity of skills and abilities of all the humans that we have. We have humans and we have a, a very sort of single way of learning in a lot of senses. We're not actually creating a system that enhances or 
the word I'm going for is like prioritizes and, and builds up the diversity. And it is through diversity, we see that in the environment, but it's also the diversity of our minds that are going to solve these problems in the future. I'm really excited to hear the passion in your voice, Leslie. It's, it's so refreshing that there is a school and the people that are in it who are focused on our inherent humanness and leveraging up from that. So I wanna just explore that a little bit further. You know, the Green School has this great focus on applying learning in the real world through, as we've now identified, not only global citizenship and sustainability, but of course, as you highlighted so, so eloquently, was around issues of equity and social justice. How does the Green School then take advantage of the natural world to tap into the curiosity, the empathy and the creative skills of each of your learners? So we tap into their abilities in, in many different ways. Uh, there, we, we go at it through project-based approaches. So really trying to understand what are you interested in? We're, look, we're, we're working on these skills and we are working on certain sets of knowledge for children, but how do you wanna show that you learn that and how do you wanna explore that learning? So a lot of that is through you know, carefully, con carefully supported, I won't say constructed, but student, it's actually students and teachers working together to say, oh, do you want to do this project? Let's explore these concepts through this project. And one year, it could look, you know, we could be looking at a system and we could be wanting to teach entrepreneurial skills alongside of environmental skills. And it could look like the children choosing to do a big chicken enterprise project. Like they like chickens, cool. Let's go, you know, let's go buy some chickens. Well, how do you get money for chickens? Oh, that's a good question. And you can do a lot with math there and a lot with loans. Then they get chickens, have to take care of chickens, have to do well-being for chickens, and you can tie that into well-being for themselves. Then they finally get eggs once the chickens um, feel well, and they sell those eggs and repay the loan. And it could look like that in one year, and you could be teaching very similar skills and concepts the next year, but the children decide that they're going to save frogs because of the, the invaluable, lesson, the invaluable um, role that frogs play in the ecosystem there in Bali. And so they could decide, they could see a frog in distress, and this happened, and they could decide that they wanted to do a whole enterprising project around how we save the frogs in our region. So the outcome, the project, and how they learn, it can look really different year on year, but you're actually still using, obviously, the same skills and some of the same concepts. And also not tying yourself to that as a teacher. Like, look, we want to get to things. But if they're going in a certain direction and that direction is rigorous and deep thought, let's go there, make a note of these things we maybe didn't get to, and let's replan. So not necessarily sticking to the rigidity of what you had pre-planned when you see that things are going in a great direction. So that's just one way we do it. We have passion projects, we have community-based projects where students as a whole community develop an enterprise. We have students who just want to do, they wanna work and feel what it's like to work and so we'll work on setting up jobs for them on our campus. We have students who wanna cook, so they'll plant, they'll, they'll sow, they'll um, harvest, and then they'll cook for all of us. And there's actually so much learning in that that we can understand. So really, it can look a lot of different ways. And then we have, I'll never forget when an introverted kid said, look, this, this education is all about collaboration and that's really hard for me. And you never let us do anything by ourselves. And so we'll also take that opportunity to go, okay, you wanna take some time and you wanna think first and go through this. And so carving out elements of projects or things they can do on their own because that's the way that they learn. So it's that give and take between the teacher and the student um, back and forth. And they know how they wanna learn in those moments. And it's your job to make a note of, of what they've learned, um, help, help them construct that, make sure it, it stays rigorous. 
um, but it's not necessarily your job in the green school context to finish your lesson plan. Uh, Leslie, that's, it all sounds amazing. Why is why are voice and agency so important in what you're doing? <laughs> well, I think we know it. You, you, you are running this amazing podcast because this is what you're passionate about and you love and you want to bring this to the world. Kids are the same. They love things. They have things that they really care about. And realistically, if we can allow as much of that to be in their lives, in their learning lives, they're going to go deeper and they're going to learn more and they're going to be happy doing it. And actually, that is the priority, that happiness element, too, or the satisfaction element is really where it starts. And from that, we learn. The minute that gets dampened, we all struggle in, in everything that we do. So that's really the simplest answer to that question. <laughs> so, 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 but let, let's, let's follow that through. It starts with happiness. What are your other measures of student success then? We actually do want them to be really engaged and focused. When we see that engagement and that focus with a student is something that they're really passionate doing, not just happy doing, that, that's really a gauge of success because that's really the resilience that they need um, in the world ahead. Other elements is when we see them being kind to each other, <laughs> when we see them doing things that are supportive and thoughtful for their community, that's really, that's incredibly important. When we see them being active, another gauge of thriving and success is really how physical they are. And that's physical within their own limits and their own desires, but we want them to be happy doing physical activity for life. And then another, another thriving element to it is the arts. We, we, we love students to be introduced to all different kinds of arts because we do believe that it's incredibly important to have a, a artistic passion for the rest of your life. We do think that's an important part of thriving and an important part of being human. So really relationships, physicality, artistic and focus and passion and ability to complete difficult projects, all of those things will be, be things that we look at in, in, in addition to happiness. So what I'm hearing there is a, is a model for the measurement of student progress, which is based on the acquisition of competencies that students need to thrive in the 21st century. This isn't about a rat race of exams and tests and this followed by that. It's about a person becoming. And if we talk with, um, with Nathan Chisholm from Pran High School, he's in Melbourne, he, he would talk a lot about the importance of being able to assess the kindness of a person as well too. Yeah. Um, and our producer, Oliver Cummins, he's always banging on about kindness and telling me I need to be kinder in my life. Um, <laughs> but, then, but then sons get to do that to their fathers, don't they? I'm really interested, if I can follow up just one more time, you, you have a great model and we love a model. We really, really love a model at Game Changers because if you've got, if you've got a model, you can measure yourself. Yeah. If you've got a picture of who you think you should be, then you can at some point measure how far you've gone on your pathway to excellence towards that. And you, you've got a great model. It's called the real model. Um, uh, so, you know, relationship-centred, experiential and evolving, authentic and in interconnected, local to global, I mean, there's stuff in there that just makes me want to throw mm. everything away and go back and teach history to your kids all over again. <laughs> if I was trying to explain to a colleague who was perhaps sceptical about all these big words and these 21st century competencies and right. saying, look, my job's just to come to school and help them to be as good a person as they can and teach them a bit of, I don't know, geography or history or English. What would that person see on a day in the green school that makes real, real? <laughs> well, I always describe what you see or feel. Green school should be um, actually all of your senses engaged. 
So if you go, if you walk onto a campus at Green School, you should hear music, you should hear children playing, you should hear people talking, you should also hear the environment, you should hear more natural sounds. You would be able to touch projects, you'd be able to touch um, plants that are growing, you'd be able to touch really natural materials that are within each of the each of the classrooms, not non classrooms, really, they're, they're beautiful bamboo huts in the in the Bali uh, context and in New Zealand, they're these gorgeous pods. Um, you would be able, you would smell, you would smell compost, you would smell food cooking that came from our gardens. Um, you might smell some bad things because we obviously exercise all the time. <laughs> um, and, and you would, and you would feel, you would feel all around you an energy. And, and that's really what I hope would happen. But how do you know that they're learning? How do you know they're rigorous? How do you know that they're engaged? Well, what I hope you experience is the students at Green School, and I hear this a lot, they're not afraid to come up and talk to anyone. They're not afraid to tell their opinion. They're not afraid to engage in very difficult and sometimes very complex conversations around the topics of the world. And I hope as a visitor, you would experience that and you would go, oh, these kids are, they're different, they're confident, and they wanna talk about really difficult topics and, and they have something to say on those. And then the other thing I hear though that you see is like, there's not a single kid who owns a hairbrush. <laughs> <laughs> we're like we're wild we're having fun we're outside so these are all the the elements but the outcome and and one way to really experience that is to look online at our greenstone project this is our final year-long capstone project where all of the skills and all of the knowledge and expertise in one area that children build is displayed and we do ted style talks um, and show that learning and and really it is through that that I think you can, from a distance, get a sense of just how passionate and, and focused students are uh, and articulate that they, they are on, on different topics. So that's multiple things I hope you experience. Leslie, I've had the great privilege of visiting Bali, I think now every year for the last 16 years. It's almost like, you know, another state for Australians in many ways. <laughs> and I'll just preface it by saying, I think I've been to Cooter only for 30 minutes in those 16 years. I uh, never kind of go away from that whole area. But uh, one day uh, when I came back to Australia, I really reflected upon my most recent experience there in Bali. And I wrote these words in a blog. And the blog's entitled, Big Smiles, Huge Hearts. Every single time I visit Bali, I always walk away a little wiser a lot more calmer and a whole more in tune with my inner peace. While many people travel to this beautiful island destination for the beaches, the lush rainforests, the delicious local cuisine and the relaxed island lifestyle, the local people play a huge part in defining the overall encounter. Bali is home to some of the friendliest and most welcoming people in the world. The inhabitants of this idyllic island paradise are indeed a most giving and genuinely warm people. They have a strong sense of spirituality and they go out of their way to make visitors feel most welcome. Leslie, what have you learned from the Balinese and your encounter with that particular place? Yeah, and that's a beautiful blog post that you have. Thanks for sharing. I think I've had the exact same experience, um, but even, even deeper. I mean, I moved to Bali for a month and I stayed for eight and a half years. And that's because... Yeah. Balinese people, uh, Indonesian people in, uh, all over Indonesia are so incredibly welcoming and they're so open and they're so caring. Um, I just, I, I don't even know if it's possible to be as generous back <laughs> in, in anything that I will ever do. And, and I often would question myself, would I be this generous if they visited me here in my 
hometown. It would, would, would even culturally, I even think that way. And so it's, it's that level of generosity, the level of, of you're welcome here and, and we care about you that was kind of unprecedented in, in my travels around the world and, and had me staying there for a long time. I think the other thing about Balinese that I just absolutely adore is, look, everything is about a laugh and a smile. Let's have a laugh, let's smile, and let's sing songs together. And let's do these things that are playful, like let's just have fun as grown-ups. let's play. And um, I think that it's just, it's profound. It's, a, it's an incredible way of living life. And it was, it was such an honor to have had that time there. And so I, I agree with you completely. I think the feeling you get there, um, the spirituality, the, the vibrations of the energy all around you are uh, something that I normally would have never even thought about, again, from my background. It's not something that, that I, I normally would even consider. And then you get there and you feel it. And so, yeah, abs absolutely. It's just been, it's been an incredible uh, second home or first home most recently. Leslie, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in what happens after the grain school. Let me preface it by quoting uh, or, or, or paraphrasing E.E. E. Cummings, not, not related, um, um, but uh, the American poet who talked about the, the hardest thing in the world is to be yourself when the whole world is trying to make you something different. Mm. Once you come out of an experience like this and you're a student and you're transitioning into the world, the rest mm. of the world's not like the grain school. Yeah. There are many parts of the world that are not kind, that are not connected, that are not driven by principles, where passion is stomped on by people of little imagination. Um, how, how, how do you prepare students for the real world? And that's, that's such a great question. I, do, I did check in and still do check in with many of my graduates. And, and yes, adjusting to life outside of green school um, was, was challenging from an interpersonal standpoint, not from an academic or what you know, what you can do standpoint. In fact, they had almost no issues adjusting to traditional universities or to, to life outside from that aspect. But yes, they, 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 but, but this is human, right? Where are my people? And, my, and, and, and when you leave your, your cocoon there in Bali, your people are dispersed. So, but what I found is that that is the first thing that they then did is they went to find their community and they went to find their friendships and they really value and rely on their friendships and they keep those friendships strong and that helps them to adjust and that helps them to be different in, in whatever location that they've gone to. But how we prepare them is we have three curriculum lenses that we look at. Look, learning is infinite. You can teach anything. Knowledge is, is technically infinite and, and skills are too. Probably don't have time in this lifetime to learn everything. I'd love to play guitar and um, and the spoons and walk on my head, but these aren't the reality. So we have to choose some things. All at so, the same time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that was, was probably never going to happen, but I'm built a little different than that. But <laughs> so we, we look at these curriculum lenses and actually the very first lens is well-being. And this isn't, this isn't uh, a singular concept of well-being. It's highly integrated. It's the well-being of self, nature, well-being of community and well-being of humanity. And it's this deep understanding of your role in that for yourself and for others. And really prioritizing that as one of the core lenses. And, and we put a lot of time and energy into this and we talk about transition and we talk about being in different places and how that's going to feel and the strategies that you can employ. We spend so much time on that so that they can adjust. And I do think that that is an incredibly valuable part of it. It's actually a third 
of what we prioritize when it comes to learning time, when it comes to learning knowledge and, and those sorts of areas. So that's absolutely critical. And I'll never forget a student. We tend to be very, um, very liberal. We tend to be very, um, you know, on the far left of, of what most, most people would, would call the far left on, in Bali. And I'll, I'll never forget a student who said that she actually felt like we were being close-minded to most of, most of the world, um, certainly parts of the United States where she was from that lives uh, on a different part of that scale. And she actually spent her entire um, year-long Greenstone project working on humanizing us and, and bringing kindness toward all the different ways of looking at the world um, that we normally would have thought would have been a place where our students would struggle if they would go back. So she spent a lot of time in, in, in more conservative um, families, more conservative areas and, and brought the humanity and, and the kindness back. So again, because both sides are kind of doing that to each other. So I thought that was profound. And that was like, that's the point of our well-being program was that this is actually much bigger than actually what we believe. It's about our shared humanity. Let's keep this going, this topic, and talk about the relationship of Green School to other schools, because there, this isn't just about politics. This is also about disposition, isn't it? And it's, it's about engagement in the world and all sorts of things that you're trying to do. Uh, I'm not even sure what left and right mean these days. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I am aware that there are people who want to do things the way it's been done, and mm -hmm. people who like to go on an, an adventure and so there's it would seem that our world is coalescing into an almost irreconcilable gulf between those two types of people mm. at the moment and the politics is following mm -hmm. at the same time so we've got schools that are for one type of people and schools that are for another type of people in the independent system but then in the state system we have to educate everybody in the public system, we have to educate everybody. So how do we apply the learning of what you're doing at Green School to systems that have to cater for everybody? I think for me, and maybe it's my history teacher background, is just to look back in history um, and see that there was a time when we didn't even really know anybody's politics. The school was at the center of a community and that community needed to be a really important part of taking care of all of the people in that community, regardless of what they felt or believed or politically. And I think, I think you're totally right. We have, schools have actually moved into those two camps as well, but the reality is it needs to come back from both those sides, not have that focus, have a perspective of things we want children to learn and why, be able to say why, that's very rational, it's very reasonable, makes sense to people from a human level, and bring back that place that schools served in that it was serving this community and the well-being of all the children. And it, that's just a mindset. That's just a mindset of the role of, of, of these schools in these different places. And I think, I think that is definitely part of it. I think you can obviously talk about very rationally why you want children to learn certain things or do certain things or go on certain journeys. Um, very straightforward for the best interest of the child. It has nothing to do with politics. It's, it's a perspective. And it's a perspective that people actually more universally, I feel, used to share and probably still do. But fear drives us as well toward these different ways of being look let's just get through school let's just get this exam out of the way because that's what they need to go to university or do whatever they need to do but really it's about pulling back and saying 
but why? <laughs> why are they learning this? So, um, so, so, so maybe it's about the difference between those who are frightened and those who are excited. Yeah. And also, I think, you know what? Change is, well, this is so cliche, but change, especially school, it's really hard. It's scary. I'll never forget when I, when I started at Green School, we didn't have a high school um, that had completed. We had one year of high school under our belt, and we didn't even have a program. And we had the Cambridge um, curriculum. Because we brought in a curriculum because, again, it's safer, but it wasn't going well. We weren't outside. We weren't out of the classroom. We didn't have the training that we needed. And we were really kind of standing up in front of everyone. We were going to say, look, we're going to throw out this curriculum completely and we're going to create our own. Um, and it's going to be really thoughtful. It's going to be data-driven. The real principles you mentioned earlier, there's really, really good educational research behind all of that. Uh, behind relationship in education, especially between teachers and students being strong and that being powerful um, and, and, and all of those I, areas. I, I, dare I say it, I think we might have done some of that research as well. Too, <laughs> yeah, you so. probably, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I actually go back to my research papers on it. I probably see you all over the place. It was very, and so that was all research driven. And so, you know, just the idea of just making sure that, but we also understood, talk to children about what we needed and then saying, look, we're going to go on this journey to create this curriculum in education. And it was absolutely scary. So people are fine with progressive and different forms of education, often until they're in high school. And then parents really worry that they're doing their, their child a disservice. Because the rest of the world still, like universities, the rest of the world still go, eh, I want this other thing. The ATAR score, uh, I had a lot of difficulties convincing uh, Australian universities how amazing our children were. Um, it's it, through alternative pathways. Um, and th that's why I actually <laughs> flew down to Melbourne on a weekend and knocked on our MIT door. Uh, our, maybe I shouldn't mention universities, but I was, I was getting frustrated. So I went and knocked on the door on a Monday morning and said, look, we really, my kids are amazing and you know it, how can we, you know, um, yeah. get the system to recognize that. So, so anyway, it was, it was really, but it was really scary because even, even though we knew what was best for our students learning and our students learning, we still didn't know if the rest of the world would accept them and you don't wanna do a child a disservice. And so by the time you get to high school, it gets a lot scarier. So I do think it is about the, the fear versus the not, not fear camps in a lot of ways. I just wanna shift now our conversation a little bit, Leslie, to, towards something that uh, it's really evident that the Green School is equally successful in doing and that is partnering with private sector and, and, and working beyond the boundaries of the school's kind of campus and understanding the role that the local community and then the global community has both from private and uh, enterprise in helping shape opportunities and real world experiences. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about some of the exciting things that are happening in that space and why that's important? Yeah, well, we've partnered with industry very individually for a long time. We really believe in practitioner educators. So we really believe in bringing in experts from the, all different fields um, and engaging with those experts with our students, whether that's through mentorship, whether that's through courses, whether that's through internship programs, if that's, if that's possible or feasible. And we've done that um, from the very beginning as, as best as we can. And we've been lucky that our community is so diverse and we've had access in, in those ways. And I think that's absolutely critical to have that perspective because again, we're talking about how, 
so I'll, I'll bring an analogy and I was playing trivial pursuit the other day with friends kind of in, in this COVID situation online. Right. And most of what I, I learned in high school, I feel I'm only using um, on once a week zoom calls for trivial pursuit. And the reality is, you know, what I'm using in my day to day life are the skills I learned in school, absolutely critical, but also what I have learned from, from being in industry, from being working from mentors, from people in different areas. So really bringing that in as, as, as absolutely as much as we can, it has been critical. And as well as creating our own businesses, simply going through that process um, has, is a profound learning experience um, for students. So I don't think we could do what we wanna do without those partnerships. Uh, I think it's it's because it's the only it's the thing that they can apply their learning to in very real ways. Um, the most of us don't get to till 25, 30, <laughs> and yeah. they're doing it when they're eight, nine. Leslie, why is this work important to you? <laughs> well, I always I I've been I'm a big journaler, and I, I go back, and all I ever really wanted to do, I was like, I just want to be useful, and I kind of want to have fun doing it. I just just I just want. My, my twin brother is a comedian. We grew up laughing. Uh, we, grew, we grew up just trying to, trying to be useful and, and helpful. But I also, I also loved learning. I, I just thought it was the thing that gave me life. And so I absolutely would sometimes try to get away from education. You know how you explore other things. But um, I would actually end up always back in education in some way, shape, or form. And, and the reality is, as I get older too, but it didn't take me that long to get here, those childhood years were beyond pr profound and precious. They are the things that I, I talk about in conversation. They are the things that formed me uh, as uh, who I am. And so I want children of the world, because they really are the ones who are gonna solve the next round of problems. I want them to have a good experience. It, it really, I want them to be knowledgeable. I want them to feel useful, feel intelligent, feel skilled. But I actually, I, I just want them to have a really good experience because that time, that time is, is, is so quick and so precious. Yeah. Leslie, I'm listening to you talk. It would be easy for people to look at all of this and say, oh, it's all nice ideas. And so I get really excited by the knowledge. There's really deep research behind all of this. But then I'm a research nerd. I love yeah. this sort of stuff. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's sort of... Uh, the pursuit of knowledge and, and its dissemination really, really, you know, that, yeah. that, that, that ticks a lot of boxes for me. You talk about wanting to be the most useful as a motivation in your career. Yeah. What advice have you got for educators, young and old, who want to make a difference in the world? So, you know, I get asked this question and I used to find it really overwhelming because I used to think, oh gosh, that's such an important question. It's so big. But actually the longer I've gone on, the more I realize that it's actually simple, small things that can be done in every single school, anywhere from bringing in nature into the classroom and bringing in a love of nature. It can start there. It can start with this very individualized sort of way of being just seeing your students, talking about your students, remembering what's important to them. You can do these things in almost every single classroom. You can put projects into almost every single classroom and you can do it in simple ways, but really cool ways, ways that they'll remember that project forever. And so um, I used to think you had to have a, you know, this, this whole package, but you really don't, you really don't. I mean, it, kids, kids who are seen and cared for, they learn. Kids who have teachers who remember what they're interested in and have a good relationship with their teachers, they learn. 
kids who get some experience, get some connection to nature, um, they learn. And, and, and these are things that we can bring in in, in every place that, that we work. And I think those starting in those small ways actually have huge impacts. So, so it sounds like you're living the dream. Um, what's, what's, what's something that you've done at Green School that you'd never do again? Oh, well, not never. Well, maybe not never do again, but you know, I've been in that mud pit many times <laughs> and, uh, and I've eaten a lot of mud, a lot of, a lot of good old fashioned Bali, um, <laughs> rice <laughs> mud. I think I'm good. I, I don't think I need to do that again. Um, I will, but I don't need to. Um, <laughs> I just, I think that's one of those things that is so special about a green school experience. But actually, I would do it all. I would actually do all that Bali stuff over again. I, I wish I was as knowledgeable then when I started as I am now, because it would have been, a, there would have been things that weren't so <laughs> difficult or so emotional. There was a lot of emotion uh, in the startup of this school. But without that challenge, without that emotion and without that struggle, would you feel yeah. as good about it now? Well, no, probably not. But I would, I would, um, I'd be thinner. Um, I'd be, I would, I'd be, I, I'd, be, I'd have fewer wrinkles, maybe, which would be nice. No, um, no. So I think, I think both those things happen to all of us oh, over yeah, time. Yeah, that's maybe true. No, no, yeah. um, no, not not. I would have, I would have actually taken more time to stop and go. Whoa, this is cool. Let's talk a little bit more and let's let's hang out a little bit more because there's some students and and teacher friends I really miss. Um, so I think I would have tried to enjoy it more along the way. That's for sure. Leslie, we we have one more question for you before we we do wrap up this uh, terribly enlightening and uh, life giving conversation today. And that is, you know, the world now is crippled by a pandemic and it is calling upon us to be more agile and more adaptive than probably any of our times in our lifetime in our lifetime and we have a responsibility to help young people understand it while we're still trying to understand it there are many in education that are seeing this as a crisis and because they have to have now pivoted to a new kind of learning paradigm but then equally there are many that are looking at this as a, an enormous opportunity for a total reset, a reset around humanity, a reset around diversity and inclusion, and a reset around the haves and have-nots. And, and there are many people in education agitating for a new normal. In some ways today, we're being very blessed to listen to you share with us a bit of an insight of what that new normal could look like. What is your perspective post-pandemic of the future of school? Well, uh, for, I really agree with you well, I agree with the statement that this is an enormous opportunity. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's beyond what any opportunity, there's an opportunity in this that's beyond anything we'd ever experience in education. And so what I think is that I really hope we all take advantage of it. And the first thing I wish we would all do in terms of education is just take a step back and go, look at how challenging this has been and look at how this has shook us back to our core, back to our very bottom needs. And what is it we know that we need, children need to be the, their full selves and to learn? And actually go back to the beautiful research that, that has been done in this space about what children need to learn and to grow and actually start rethinking of programs and rethinking of what we need to do in that space to, to accomplish those needs. Um, because I, every day we don't get this opportunity to kind of go back to the basics and go, oh, wow, what do we need? 
we, we just don't, we're just want, we're on a path and we're just trying to fix the problems on that path. And so I think that that would be profound if, if schools, even in a, even in small ways, set up innovation teams to start to talk about this. What do we need in our, cause, cause actually there's never, and I've never said there's a universal answer because each community is so different. The needs are so different. What do we need here and now? What do we need to focus on and put our energy and our time into? And then beyond that, when we get strong and stable, I actually would love for people to start going, do we know what we need to know for the future? <laughs> and what I have really found amazing in this is that our leaders are our scientists and our doctors, and we're looking to them and we're, we're, we're clinging on to them actually for help and support and that really feed, I, I, I really hope that that perspective and, and service workers and I really hope that that perspective feeds back into schools and say have we prepared children um, and inspired them to want to take up roles in all of these areas as well the other thing we're learning well-being aside which we know is critically important but we're learning how important art is this is the way we're telling people that we love what they've done thank you I love these families that are rewriting lyrics to songs and sending it out to everybody. I love these families that are having conversations, the art of, of this conversation and this back and forth and checking on people. I really hope that we actually go back to first going, what is the core? And then what do we, what do we need to know? And what skills do we really need to have when we leave school? And if we can have those two discussions, I think we're gonna find that for all schools, there's probably a, well, a very big, re not for every school, but for most, a refocus on different, different curriculum, different knowledge, different skills. And I, I hope we all do that. I hope every school does that. I'm going to finish off by just reading this last passage from that same blog, and it's going to make sense in a moment. I wrote, the Balinese are rightfully universally known for their positive disposition. Balinese people are forever friendly and hospitable with big smiles and huge hearts. They look at you with grace and ease and greet you with a kind and gentle presence, a uh, patience. Phil, sitting here today and listening to the half glass full Leslie <laughs> for the last 40 or so minutes, I could have actually written that passage about you, Leslie. It has been, it has been uh, so uplifting to encounter an educator that is operating in a very selfless manner for the other. It is what Phil and I have been doing along this journey. We have been encountering so many people with so many great ideas that are changing the game of schooling and central to all of them has been the essence of kindness. And today we have been blessed to have that kindness from you in spades. Thank you very much for the tenderness and grace in which you approach your work. Thank you very much for embracing this incredible profoundness of simply giving. And uh, I just want to say, Leslie, never underestimate your gift and what a smile can do. And I'm going to finish by saying suksma. Thanks, Adriano. Hearing you talk about uh, scientists and, and doctors, Leslie, makes me think about my own mum, who's, uh, who's 88. She's, a, she's a, a doctor and a scientist and probably been the most important person in my life. So... You know, we live in the world with hope. There are a lot of reasons for that hope and, and people like you are absolutely all part of that. Go well, go gently or go hard, whichever one you like, really. And, um, and uh, A little bit well, both. Yeah, yeah, all, all of the above. And, uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks very much, Leslie. Thank you. It's been an incredible honour. Thank you for the kind work you do. And thank you for 
supporting teachers and students and learning and education. It's absolutely incredible. And we're all in this together and we will make this um, world a better place for sure as we do it together. The Game Changers podcast is produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and supported by Circle, the Centre for Innovation, Research, Creativity and Leadership in Education. Go to www.circle.education. The podcast is hosted on SoundCloud. It's distributed through Spotify, Google Play and Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe and tell your friends you like what you're hearing.